Let me read uh, a few verses from Mark chapter 7. Uh, I'm not going to be staying in this. I'm not going to be staying in this uh, in these few verses, but I want to use it as some sort of stepping stone to to a few other things that I would uh, love us to talk about this morning. I alluded to this these verses last Sunday morning uh, before Lucas shared with us. Lucas, thank you so much again for sharing with us just last week. Um, but just in the middle of worship, shared again, shared a couple of thoughts from Mark chapter 7, and it's still been one of those. I'm reading through Mark at the minute. I think I'm in Mark 13 or 14, but I keep coming back. I keep reversing back to Mark chapter 7, and so intrigued by this uh, this lady that we are introduced to in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And it says that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. And this is the little line that I've loved. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. Couldn't help himself but make himself known. Verse 25. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And this is what Jesus said. And uh, that seems really harsh. Jesus says, first let the children eat all that they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. See, Jesus has has alluded to this a couple of times before. What was wrong with it? What was I talking about? First let the children... So Jesus has sort of talked about this before. He has said publicly, I've came first for the Jews came first for the lost children, the lost sheep of Israel. And he's sort of, this is what he's sort of saying in what seems not very polite words this time. First, let the little children eat all they want, for it is not right to take their bread and toss it to the dogs. And this is the woman's response. Yes, Lord. Like she understood this. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. That's been one of the, these are the two words. These are the, the two words that have been playing in my mind almost every time I look at the Gospels this week. And almost every story that I find myself coming across. These two words that keep coming to my mind are relentless hunger. A relentless hunger. Relentless, non-stop, persevering, determined, relentless, a relentless hunger. And I think this is what this, this Syrophoenician woman reveals. She reveals a, 
a relentless hunger that Jesus can't help but respond to. Himself. Verse 24, he can't help himself showing up. And even though he said, and I don't want to get into the theology of all of this, but even though he has said, I, I, I've not come to do this. I've not come yet for the Gentiles. This, this message, this, this, what I want to do is not yet, it's not yet the time for the Gentiles, for the Greeks, for the Syrophoenicians. It's for the Jews. It's for the lost children of Israel. But it is her, it is her relentless hunger. It is her relentless pursuit of a, for a touch from Jesus that it seems to me that he can't help himself but show up. It seems to me that he can't help but respond to the cries of desperation. He can't help himself but respond to the heart's deep cry. can't help himself responding to someone who is desperate for more, who is longing for more. And those, I think what she, she reveals here is those who are hungry for more are going to receive more because Jesus cannot help himself but respond to a relentless hunger, to a relentless pursuit of himself. And if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 5, or Mark chapter 5, sorry, I'm going to Matthew 5 in a moment. But it's the story of, of, of the lady that has had this sickness for 12 years. And she's spent all her money trying to, trying to find some sort of relief, some sort of freedom from her pain, some sort of freedom from her sickness. And even though Jesus, is, his, his, his attention is elsewhere, his attention is on the little sick girl, Jairus' daughter, he still, he still uh, is in a place where this woman can get to him. And she makes this statement. She had made this decision. I can't go on anymore if I could just get a touch of his cloak. If I could just get to Jesus. And he turns and responds. He wants to know who it was that touched him. He wants to know who it was that relentlessly pursued a touch from Jesus. And she was, it was a, a hunger so deep within her. It was the deep cry of her heart that Jesus couldn't help but respond to her. He couldn't help but turn his attention away from where he was going and set it on someone who had, was desperate, was longing for more, was hungry for a touch from Jesus. And I think he keeps showing that over and over again. There's something about Mark chapter 9 where Jesus comes down the Mount of Transfiguration. He's went with Peter, James, and John. They've had this incredible experience. They've came back down, and they find the remaining disciples, the other, the other nine, have, have got themselves in a, bit of, in a bit of difficulty. Someone has came with their, with their child who is possessed by a demon, and they can't do anything for this child. Can't do anything for this desperate parent. And Jesus comes and, and he says that he, he, he does what Jesus does best and sets this child free. And the disciples ask him, why could we not do it? And Jesus responds to them saying, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. 
I think for me, there's something about what Jesus is even revealing to his disciples. There is times that the supernatural will only happen in a response to a, a relentless hunger to see him change lives. See, I think for me, my experience of fasting over the last number of months has been one of just relentlessly pursuing Jesus. In some ways, I'm, I've, I've found myself at times fasting over the last number of months with nothing, nothing entirely specific that I'm bringing before him. There's times where I do, where I do, do that and I will do that. But I'm at, a, I'm at a season at the moment where I'm just, I'm just doing it because I'm just desperate. Just longing for, for you, Jesus. I want you to see that I'm hungry. I want you to see that I'm desperate. I want you to see, I want you to see that there's this relentless, non-stop pursuit of you and what you want to do. How you want to bring about transformation of lives sometimes will only happen when you pray and when you fast. When he sees your desperation, when he sees that you are truly hungry for more, I believe that you will see more. We talked about we talked about uh, two two old elderly ladies on Wednesday night here in our time of prayer. Two ladies that were the catalyst, that were the reason for the revival in the Hebrides in 1949. Two women that looked around their island, that looked around their church, and seen that there was no young man or woman coming through the church doors. They became deeply concerned, deeply burdened, and began to relentlessly pursue Jesus that he would come and bring hope and transformation to the Hebrides. And so they began to get on their knees two times a week, from 10 o'clock at night to 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, just crying out that Jesus would come and bring salvation to the Hebrides. He would come and bring life and hope and meaning and forgiveness and joy to this island. And I believe with all my heart that although, although Duncan Campbell was a great preacher and gets a lot of credit for the revival in the Hebrides, I believe it was the father responding to the deep cries of those two ladies. It was him responding to the relentless hunger, the relentless pursuit of these two women. He responded to that. He always seems to respond to that. Jesus, in his most incredible sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these, this, this, this one line, blessed, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the thirsty. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. The original for that is that they will be they will be truly satisfied. Those who hunger and are thirsty for righteousness, those that have this is what it says in this is what it says in the message version. Eugene Peterson translates it as blessed or paraphrases it as blessed are you when you've worked up a good appetite for God. And what Jesus says, those who are hungry those who are thirsty, those who are positioning themselves for more of his goodness, for, to, to walk in the right way, you will be filled. You will be satisfied.
real tragedy, real tragedy, the real tragedy in the church, I don't believe is, is a spiritual famine. I think it is a famine without hunger and a dryness without thirst. And I know that if you look at statistics, they do not reveal good viewing for the church in terms of numbers, in terms of the the decline of church attendances and all of that sort of thing. And I know that there's a strong argument for 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 us being in a spiritual famine. If that makes sense, I hope it does. But I, as as awful as that is, I think the the greater tragedy is that when we acknowledge that there is a famine but there is no hunger, when there is a dryness but there is no thirst. It's the question I want you to keep in your mind as we as we talk through some things this morning is how's your appetite? It's 12 o'clock and we're maybe already getting towards thinking of our lunch. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about your physical appetite. You know that. I'm wanting to know about your, your appetite for God. I want to know about your spiritual hunger. How's your appetite? Hungry and thirsty for the ways of God. Even though we're in a famine, maybe. Is there a hunger? Even though there seems to be a dryness, is there a thirst? Jesus said in John 7, if you're thirsty, come. The prophet Isaiah said, if you're, if you're thirsty, come. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 42, I am thirsty for the living God. Eugene Peterson again, he says, I'm thirsty for God alive. If you want to go to the Psalms, you just want to let me point out a few of the places where we see the psalmist's deep, deep cry. Deep cry of hunger and thirst and relentless, relentlessly pursuing God. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? Psalm 84, or Psalm 63, verse 1. Another psalm of David, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I'm reading through these I'm reading through these Psalms this week and I'm like, God, when was that when was that last my experience? When was that the last time the 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 reflection, the meditation of my heart that 
I'm, I'm, I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body, my whole being is crying out. It's longing for you. It's yearning for you, Jesus. I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty. I'm so relentlessly pursuing you and all that you have for me. In Psalm 84, verse 2. How lovely is your dwelling place. Verse 1 of Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's interesting actually to see that this, this word yearns. My soul yearns. The, the original of 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 this word yearns, it's almost like greedy. Like you're just gonna you're just gonna get as much as you possibly can. See it's also the word used in Psalm seventeen to to talk about the lion being hungry for his prey. The lion is hungry for his his prey. He is he is ready for it. He's ready to pounce he's He's greedy. He is yearning for his prey. And, and the psalmist is using the same language to say that that's how his soul, that's how much his soul yearns and longs for the living God. How much he is, he is desperate for the courts of the Lord. How much his heart and his flesh cry out for the living God. How's your appetite? Three things to think about concerning this question. Three things that I've been looking at, considering in my own life as I've asked myself that question. Try to every day this week. How's your appetite? And, uh, and I know that whenever I'm satisfied by something else, I just don't have the appetite for the things of God. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm satisfied with something else, I have no appetite to, for his righteousness. I have no appetite to walk rightly before him. Whenever I'm finding my satisfaction, I'm already filled up. I'm already full because I've been satisfied by something else. And I'm sure if you were to ask David today, if you were to ask David this morning after the day that he had yesterday, David, how's your appetite this morning? I am sure the food and anything related to food is the last thing in his mind this morning. Because he's sick. He's not well. And actually, as I, as I thought about David last night, I thought, like, that's... There's times whenever we have no appetite because we're sick. There's a spiritual sickness that that we live in. The two biggest things, I believe, I'm sure there's more things you can add to this. 
But I think the two things that, that, that reveal such a spiritual sickness in us is unbelief and unforgiveness. And we'll take, a, take another morning to talk about unbelief. We'll take another morning to talk about unforgiveness. But the three pointers that I want to give you is you ask yourself, if you will, that question, how is my appetite? Is there something else that, that, is, that is satisfying you, that leaves you with no appetite at the end of the day? Or is there a sickness? Is there a sickness that gives you, leaves you with no appetite whatsoever? Whether it's unforgiveness, whether it is unbelief, whether it is being let down or whatever it is that has allowed you to become sick spiritually. It takes away hunger. It takes away hunger. It takes away, it takes away thirst. Or the third thing is, is that you fill up on junk food. You no know, appetite for, for good things. You no know, appetite for healthy things because you've filled up in junk food. And I don't know what that looks like for you. But I know for me, it's, it can be like, so I have Sky Sports in the house. I don't have the I don't have sky I don't have the I don't have Sky as such. I got the wee Now TV box, and uh, on the Now TV box you're not you're not into a contract. You don't have to sign up to a contract, but you can get it every month. And I find myself getting it over Christmas. I find myself getting it on December. I wanted to have Sky Sports for all while we're on the Christmas holidays. There's so much sport. And I got the January the. It got to January and I thought, well, sure, just keep it going another month. And uh, and sport's good. Sport's, sport is really good. I love sport. I'm not here to condemn or criticize sport. It would be a massive hypocrite if I did that. But actually I realized as I, as I, as I thought about, about my appetite, I thought about the other things that I'm filling up on. I fill myself up on a good series on TV. Or um, filling myself up on sports, and uh, and so I, I cancelled it. I had to cancel it on the 18th of February. I will no longer have Sky Sports. Obviously, I can get it again, but I was just filling up. I just found myself as I thought about my appetite. I was filling up on on, on junk food. I was filling up on on movies. Filling up on sports. By the time it got to the end of the day, I, I just had no appetite for anything else because. Because I've been nibbling at these different things throughout the day. And so there's three things I'd love you to think about. I'd love you to think about. I'd love you to ask yourself that question. I'd love you to ask, how is my appetite? What is, like, does that, does that resonate? Does a relentless hunger, a relentless pursuit of Jesus even resonate with you this morning? I'd love you to ask if, are you being satisfied by something else? I'd love to ask, is there any sickness that has taken away hunger? I'd love to ask, are you filling up on junk food that just leaves no appetite for, for anything else? I read this quote from, I'm not sure who it was, uh, but his, his thoughts around, around this topic Are revealed in this statement, he said, hunger for God is one of the greatest signs of life a person can have. 
I think in this quote he went on to say, it's a real, it's a real sign that you're alive. Dead people aren't hungry. It's a good sign that you're alive when you're hungry. Hunger for God is one of the greatest signs of life a person can have. It reveals an inner awareness of a greater destiny. Hunger reveals that you know that there's more. You know that there's something better. You know there's something better to satisfy you. Hunger is a good sign of life. It reveals an inner awareness of a greater destiny. Let me give a couple of things of how I think hunger could be increased. How I think you could develop in hunger. For me, the greatest thing has been the word. The Bible has been one of the the most significant things in my life that that increases my hunger for for more of God. And I love reading Psalm 119. Some of you will know that it is the longest psalm in the Bible. A hundred and, what, 76 verses long. The Bible trivia. People among us would have known that straight away. I had to check it out. Um, but Psalm 119, there's times where I, I just love reading through the whole psalm. Because there's times where I, why I sometimes love the psalms is that I f- there's times where I read it and I find, I find it's using my own language to describe where I'm at. And so in Psalm 119, verse 20, this can often be one of the things that I experience. I'd love to experience it more, but... Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your word at all times. My soul is consumed with longing. What beautiful language the psalmist uses. There's not a few places, but Psalm 119, verse 131, he says, I will open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Such a hunger, such a thirst for the word of God such a thirst for to know him more and and I really believe with all my heart and I know for some that the that the bible is a, it can be a difficult thing to 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 just to love to embrace to to devote your life around or to 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 read every day I'm aware of all of that but I truly believe that an ongoing revelation of who he is, an ongoing revelation of his nature, increases hunger. I believe that. And so I know that it, it could be difficult for some in terms of just even wanting to do it. But trust me, there's times where I feel like that. There's times where I, I, I read my daily reading that I finish the plan, the daily reading plan, and like, nothing what happened there was nothing oh, I, did I miss something I felt like I just read it for the sake of it and, and that can happen and that's do you know what that's okay because I think that there's times where you, there's three or four days go by and you're just like oh God please there's, is there a dryness is there something going on in me help me see something reveal something more of yourself and there's just this ongoing pursuit. Lord, my soul, I'm longing for your commands. My mouth's open. 
not literally, my mouth's open long and panting for your word. There's times then where you get a moment, you get a glimpse again of his character. You get a glimpse again of his nature, of his unending love, of his exaggerated grace and mercy. And it's that ongoing revelation of his nature that increases a hunger, that causes you to come back for more. It's satisfied. It's satisfied and and it was enough and I'm coming back for more. I want to keep on being hungry. I want to keep on being thirsty. Another thing for me is, is that is significant is that you get around hungry people. I felt, uh, it, was, it was last Sunday night at the castle um, with some of the young guys down leading worship and just with us from Derry and and our guys were there, the interns that live in the castle, some of the church were there. And, uh, and it was just a moment that as we worshipped that I felt that that, that was, was going on in the room. There was just this real sense of, of, of hunger. People were, were there and young people just hungry for, for Jesus. Just, just so willing and ready to be a part of what he wants to do. And it was a real beautiful moment and actually that's why... It, I love that I get to go and, and speak on a Tuesday at the castle with these guys because they're hungry. They've came. Andres came from America because he's, he's longing for more. He's desperate for more of Jesus. He wouldn't do that if there wasn't a, if, you're, you weren't, if you weren't, your appetite wasn't good. And, uh, and so that's, that inspires me. I want to be around people who are hungry. I want to be around because it's contagious. It's contagious being around hungry people. And what begins to happen, and this is, again, this is important for me. It still doesn't always happen for me. But whenever you're hungry enough, you begin to lose your inhibitions. So I, feel, I still think there's th- some things that I don't do. There's still some people that I need to cross the road to engage with that I still won't do because uh, I use all sorts of excuses of nervousness, of being introverted, of all of those sort of things. It stops me from from going stops me from pursuing but there's times when you are just that hungry that you'll lose all inhibitions you become that desperate that you don't care who sees you raising your hands in worship you lose your ambitions you're that hungry and you're that thirsty it will drop to your knees and you don't care who is who is watching you because it's between you and jesus you're kneeling before him you're bound in worship and submitting yourself afresh again to him Whenever you're hungry enough, you will, you will do that. You will lose your inhibitions. You'll walk across the street or you'll sit beside that person who looks down in the coffee shop and you'll sit with them and you'll ask them how they're doing. Because you're so longing to see them get a touch from Jesus that you don't care if you th- they, th- you, they think you're weird. You begin to not care if people criticize you. You begin to not care if they reject your message or reject what you have to offer them you're that desperate for jesus to to radically transform the lives of these people that you will relentlessly pursue there's a relentless hunger that is so developed and stirred within you that all sense of inhibitions go king david was that hungry he was that desperate for jesus they stripped and danced before the lord 
I don't know if there's any of you that are that hungry this morning. But King David so wanted to worship, so wanted to worship God. All sense of inhibitions were gone. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Listen to what it says. I'm finishing up with this. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. When you get serious about finding me and wanting it more than anything else, I'll make sure that you're not disappointed. Come looking for me, you'll find me. When you get serious, when you get serious, when you get hungry, when you're so thirsty about finding me and wanting me more than anything else, I'll make sure that you're not disappointed because Jesus cannot help himself but show up to hungry people. He cannot help himself but respond to the deep cries of the heart. I don't believe he can help himself. He says, if you, if you call, I'm going to answer. If you are serious about this, if you're so hungry and you come looking, wanting, wanting me more than anything else, you will not be disappointed. How's your appetite? And the guys are going to come 